0: The game is over. The New York Jets are the world champions. You play to win the game. He's got it. That's a Jet touchdown. Can't wait.
1: You're listening to the official Jets podcast, a Jets 360 production.
2: Welcome to Inside the Jets. Eric Allen and Bart Scott are here at Vanderbilt Sports and Spirits at the Wyndham Hamilton Park Hotel in Florham Park, New Jersey. Thanks to everybody listening on ESPN Radio and also watching on our Facebook page. Bart, I wish we had more than one hour tonight because we are going to touch base with Jets Ring of Honor inductee Kevin Mowai later tonight. Jets defensive lineman Muhammad Wilkerson is also inside the building. We're going to take your calls at 800-919-3776. So get in the queue right now. And thanks to all the hundreds of Jets PSL holders in attendance tonight here. And thank you for all your continued support. I'll tell you what. Standing room only. Bart. I was lying
1: last week about about it being packed, but I'm telling the truth this week.
2: Yes, you are. Uh, turnout today by uh, the Jets' uh, PSL holders. Did you see it coming? Did you see the dominance coming on Sunday afternoon as the Jets took down the Miami Dolphins 20-6 to in their home opener? Well, I did.
1: I knew this team had a chip on their shoulder. I knew they were going to make all the corrections. I felt like the defense was felt like they were embarrassed. I knew they were going to show up in front of their home crowd. And what a great home crowd to, to to play in front of to make it difficult for the Miami Dolphins to be able to make audibles at the line of scrimmage. And the, and the key to the game, to me, was that they won early in the down and they and they made them have to pick up third and sevens, third and fives. And whenever you can play from behind the sticks, then you have an opportunity really um you know to to be successful.
2: What was the difference against the run? Anybody who saw the Jets in the first two weeks yep. were wondering what was going to happen. And then they said, oh, Jay Ajayi, he's coming up. Yeah. And he was a breakout player in the National Football League last year. But like you said, the Jets won early downs. And then it was third and long. And Miami finished 1-12 and third down Sunday.
1: I tell you what, fair's a great motivator. And Jay he you know, had some great games last year. They knew what the challenge was. And they knew that they, they had to make the Dolphins one-dimensional. Jay Cutler just got there. He was fresh in, in, in the uh, broadcaster's booth. And I know what that's about. when you. Mentally shut it down, and you and you check out, and you're trying to restart again. That he didn't have the chemistry, and they made him have to win the game. They made him one dimensional. You know, I think Coney Ely did a great job early in the game. You know, he caught um Jared he with one of the um uh, Mexican um growing punches. You know, said he <laughs> he wasn't the same after the after the growing punch. Uh, and I think um Demario Davis stepped up. You, know, you talk, you know, I you know I, I was very um boisterous about um the the linebackers not playing well the first two weeks now I have to give Demario you know Davis credit he played downhill he played very physical he played fast he was decisive and I think that was the difference because I think the the, the defensive line was getting penetration the first two games I just felt like the communication on the second level like I said before with them being you know setting the defense um, understanding that the Jets in the first two games were in man-to-man defense. They were setting the defense, and they weren't communicating. I felt like they were, everybody was on the same page. Everybody did their job.
2: I'm glad you mentioned Demario. Now, last year in Cleveland, he played the Mike Linebacker spot. Now he is the Mike Linebacker with the New York Jets. For so long, Jets fans had been accustomed to David Harris being the Mike Linebacker right. here. Now, I asked Todd Bowles after the game last night, what did he see from him? And he said, you know, He's getting everybody set up out there. I thought he played faster. Talk about the responsibilities, being the Mike linebacker in this defense. And what do you mean from a player's perspective of playing downhill? Well, playing downhill is no wasted motion.
1: When you see something, you, 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 you don't take any false steps, meaning that you don't step backwards to go forward. And, you, and you, you close in a distance, and you're very decisive. And you put pressure on the offensive line because, you know, they're, they're looking to chip up and go to the next level to block you. And the longer you stay back, the more pressure there is on the defensive lineman because now they have two people on them. They're getting movement, and then they chip up to the linebacker. But what happens is when you come downhill, that lineman has to come off that's responsible for you, and then that allows the defensive lineman to only have to face half a man and get penetration They only give the back one way to go. Um, to answer your, your, your first question, the difference between playing Mike linebacker and Will linebacker, when Demario Davis came and he was my backup, he was the Will linebacker, there's really no responsibility. You know, you line up, you kind of, you know, make some adjustments. You might have some communication if you want to stab your end or if you want him to go up the field or if you have some type of blitz or some coordination. But when you're the Mike linebacker, you know, know, you're the quarterback of the defense. You have to get the call, and then it's always going to be a player. You know, I was often that player because I was over talking trash to somebody where I have to come back, and you're trying to focus on the keys, the formation, the checks, close left, close right. Uh, under reduced changing the front, and then you got a player like myself coming up like, "Hey, Dave, uh, what's the call again?" <laughs> oh, so now, you, so now you're losing focus again. You know, you have to make the checks for the back and the front. You know, and, and sometimes it can be a lot, and then you don't have an opportunity to sit down and diagnose. You know, the little things, and the little thing makes makes the big difference. Is this lineman leaning heavy on his fingers? You know, is he in a more of a run stance? Is the splits tight? Or is this splits wide? What's the what's the formation of the uh, receivers? What's my responsibilities if I have to read the combination of the routes? If the inside guy goes vertical and the other guy comes underneath, do I stand the window? Do I come down? And it's a lot to handle. And sometimes you know you have to slow
2: it down. If it's something new to you, it can be overwhelming. This is a football graduate school right in here on inside the Jets. We don't play football one on one. Bart's breaking it down for two, you two, here. Tool two. two, two. 2-2? Okay, I like that. Um, Not too much. What did you think about rookie Jamal Adams? This is his third professional game. Talk about energy. He took Jay Ajayi down on that second play from scrimmage. Then later in the first half, he's deep... In that defensive backfield, making a PD as Jay Cutler got out of the pocket and tried to hit Devontae Parker up top, and then later he came up with the first professional sack. Yep. He plays with tremendous energy, and even though he's a young guy, don't you think that some of the veterans can pick up off of that vibe? Oh, you, you, you rely on the young guys because they bring that energy,
1: and uh, sometimes it has to be harnessed, right? But, you know, I think he's very instinctive and he's very sudden. You know, you talk about that player, Jay Cutler, getting his, you know, I think he was in coverage and he just wanted to, you know, to press Jay Cutler to make him have to make a decision. And he made the decision and he he came up getting his first sack, but he made it quickly. And that's, you know, if you're going to make a decision, you know, you have to make it in a microsecond, right? Uh, uh, And and he made a great decision. Um, He plays with tremendous speed. He's very instinctual. And you can tell he had great coaching in college because he's very fundamental as well. He's a great tackler. And he's very emotional. I think he's like, he can be the emotional leader. He can be the hype man for this defense going forward.
2: Inside the Jets is brought to you by Selective Insurance. Response is everything. One thing you talked about before we came on air tonight is that he's going to harness that sometimes. He got a taunting penalty there in the second half. So there are little things that he'll continue to pick up as he moves forward. Absolutely. Yeah, going forward,
1: I think I'll, I'll have a conversation with him Take to one of my courses, The Art of Trash Talking. You know, it's all about the subtle pokes. You know, you got to make sure that you don't get caught. you got to befriend the refs, and they'll give you a little longer lease. But that's something that's going to come with experience. You know, I know Mo can tell you all about that because he talks a lot of trash inside of the trenches. But a lot of people don't, you know, that's 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 not really the, the you know, the uh, playbook on Mo. but. He gets it in, too.
2: Yeah, Muhammad Wilkerson is here. Settleton. Vanderbilt. Settleton. Sports and spirits. With a
1: Temple football shirt on. Here at
2: the Wyndham Hamilton Park Hotel in Florida Park, New Jersey. Is that for Robbie Anderson? Or is it because you, know,
1: you love the team because Robbie was the player
2: he, to get? He went to Temple.
1: I know he went to Temple. Come on now. I, you don't think I knew Dave? was number nine. Me and him said the same jersey number. Okay.
2: Uh, well, why does he have a temple shirt on? What's this? this well, listen, we're going to have time. Christ, we'll have time Christ. to break down Mo's outfit here in a couple minutes. And people at home who are watching on Facebook, they'll be able to analyze it. Uh, last week we had Josh McCown on. You liked his hair. Yeah. Whatever yeah. product he was using, we don't know. But I'll tell you, whatever he's, he's doing right now, keep it up. 18 to 23. He entered last well, you ball, uh, yeah. you ball when you come on this show. That's right. So, That's...
1: so, Brother Noomsie, so Josh had the hair. Mo got the beard. Yeah. Herbal essence up in the beard right now. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you think so? Absolutely. Uh,
2: how oh, he, about... got, he got juice and berries in that beard. Trust trust me. How about McCown, 18 to 23. Uh, entering last week's game, he was completing 67% of his passes. Well, he upped that uh, completion percentage a little bit uh, yesterday. Completely in control of the offense, and we're seeing John Morton's unit continue to develop. Absolutely, and in each week is a new wrinkle. I think, you know, with, with Safarian Jenkins coming
1: back, he was able to have more targets. And, you know, sometimes, you know, I always call it addition by subtraction. I, I make the comparison of when Calvin Johnson, you know, left the Lions, how Matthew Stafford threw the ball where it was supposed to go. Well, now defenses can't really Focus on, okay, let's d- take this guy out because who's the guy? Right. Everybody's the guy. Whoever's the open guy. And when, when you know the ball is going to come, when you get open, you fight to get open all the time because you never know. And Josh does a great job of getting everybody involved. And, you know, the scouting report was it was going to be Deacon, Dunk West Coast offense. So I think the Dolphins were really, you know, stacking a box and trying to play man-to-man coverage, and that's when Robbie was able to get behind them when it was cover one. He did what a crafty veteran does. He looked the safety off. He sent two verticals up, one up the seam, one on the outside, knowing that the safety was going to have to lean over the inside slot guy first and then try and get back over the top, and I think people underestimate Robbie and his speed, and he was able to make a big play.
2: Inside the Jets is brought to you by the fan FanDuel Fantasy Tracker. Have all the fantasy. That football has to offer, Bart Scott. I play? <laughs> Robbie Anderson. Uh, I don't know. We've got to check on that. Robbie Anderson was targeted six times Sunday, three receptions, including that career-long 69-yard touchdown. The has a lot to offer the Jets. What can he do for the offense now, as we move forward, by being able to take that top off the defense, what is what are safeties going to do now when they see that more and more on film?
1: Well, 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 now it's on film, right? And we have to hold him accountable. He has to make sure that he can remain consistent and make sure that you know when he does get open that he makes the, the defense pay. And he opens it up for everybody. Whenever you have somebody that can take the top of the defense off, it allows guys like Curse or Curly or Safarian Jenkins to work the intermediate routes. And everything isn't always about getting a home run. Sometimes it's great to get, you know, a double or a triple as well. And, and, and Robbie can do that because you can run with his with his speed. You can run routes that you, you typically don't run with slower players because he can get there suddenly. You can cut his split down run speedos, and run play action off the, off, the, off the action because you know that the corner is going to be asking for help or he's going to be playing off. So now he's got to add coming off and running comebacks and, and add more routes to his, to his route tree because now players are just going to start to, 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 to fall off of him and play
2: off. All right, so we're off to a fast start here on Inside the Jets. Coming up, momentarily, will be the aforementioned Muhammad Wilkerson. Kevin Mawai, who's entering the Ring of Honor on Sunday, is going to call in. And we're going to take your calls, 800-919-3776. We'll be right back. down and Bart Scott and hundreds of Jets PSL holders are here at Vanderbilt's. <clears throat> We've and spirits at the Wyndham Hamilton Park. Our next segment is brought to you by m Bank, the official community bank and uh, the New York Jets, let's bring in Muhammad Wilkerson, who is tied for the most tenure on this young team with seven years of experience. Brother it f- Has it been seven years already? Can uh, you believe it? I, w- I remember when this was a mini beard. Yeah? <laughs>
1: <laughs> now it's fully grown.
2: Uh, how does it feel now walking inside that locker room and knowing that you are tied with Bilal Powell for the most tenure on this team?
3: Um, me and Bilal are one of the younger guys on the team. <laughs> <laughs> now, have you moved all the way? Now, wh- where do you sit on the planes? For the people out there listening, the older you get,
1: the closer you get to the front of the plane. And when I got to the front seat of the plane, I knew I was on my way out, the, out of the plane. But I'm sure you have <laughs> – I'm sure you're not close to that, of course. You know. Um, but how does that feel, the responsibility? Because when you move closer and closer to the plane, that also symbolizes that people – that's behind you are looking up to you and a responsibility to lead the troops and, you know, losing David Harris, losing, uh, Revis. Now you're the voice, the person that everybody looks to to kind of calm the troops and look like the defense and the troops were calm last week. And how did you get that done?
3: Oh, I said this in the beginning of the season, you know, once we lost David and, uh, you know, also, you know, play with a lot of veterans, you know, Reeve and, you know, Sioni Pua, uh, Mike DeVito, um, this old fart named Bart Scott oh, yeah man um, you know so I played you know play with a lot of older guys who I learned from and um you know I soaked a lot of you know uh things from them you know soaked up a lot of things from them and once those guys you know were out of the you know out of the door I just felt it was time to step up you know and be more vocal and you know and be the leader I was supposed to be what I, are your
2: mem- what are your memories of him oh, early man. on in his career
3: well you know what for, for me it was just like it's the
1: funniest thing I ever remember I remember it was the first time that the Brigashaw ever met somebody with longer arms than him. And, you know, watching them two go up with each other. They kind of touch each other the first time. He's like, hold up. I'm used to having long arms. I'm used to having long arms. It was like watching two guys, like it's, like long reach, kind of like come to an epiphany. Like, man, this is, this is great. You know, and just leaning off of him and, you know, how athletic he was, but also his humility. You know, that's what I always appreciated about him. He worked hard. He was humble. He always put his work in. Um, and it, it's been it's been exciting I was excited that they paid him you know to be honest with you because you know he earned it he put in the work and, and the production speaks for itself and you know it's always fun to kind of watch you know somebody that's young come of age and then become a leader and see how they choose to lead because everybody has their own style he's not the most um, you know voices person in the world but he gets his point across because when he speaks people listen because it's you know with me I talk all the time so nobody like oh, I just me talking again, but you know when he speaks you know it's usually something that's
2: very thought out. What was your message in the locker room last week after the defense didn't play up to your own standards those first two games, especially against the run?
3: Well, the last two weeks you know uh, we've been getting challenged by Coach Bowles and I you know I just say you know as men you know we we got to accept that challenge you know and um, I think we did that this week you know we had a great game plan you know coaches put it together great game plan and we had to go out there and execute and we did you know um we've been going up against some tough opponents these first couple weeks and uh just coming back home yesterday you know it felt good you know to be in front of our fans and you know get that win
2: when did you know at that point in the uh during the ball game how early did you guys know that hey we got this warm rhythm we're ready to dominate this game just the first you know, we was,
3: you know, everybody was doing their job. All 11 guys was doing their job. Um, the first two weeks, you know, like I was saying, you know, maybe one or two guys not in their gap or something like that, you know, some type of miscommunication. But, you know, we started out the game, you know, on a good note. You know, everybody in their, you know, in their gaps doing their job, you know, wrapping up, tackling. And, uh, you know, that's what, you know, that's what it started. And we, you know, we finished.
1: Now you guys have the Jacksonville Jaguars coming to town. They put a thumping on the, on the Baltimore Ravens over in London. And I'm sure you haven't, you know, it's, it's, it's Monday. So you haven't looked at looked at the film, but just understanding who they who they have on their roster What's your first thoughts about you know that challenge and, and how it poses to you and, and your unit your room?
3: Um, it's gonna be another opponent where they're gonna they feel like they're gonna come in and run the ball on us You know, Miami thought they would come in and you know, roll on run all over us and uh, they didn't we, you know We stopped it. So it's another opponent. Uh, we're good two good backs, you know, uh, they got a first rounder from LSU and uh, Chris, Irie, who, you Chris know, Ivory, Chris so, Ivory, right. So, um, you know, we got our hands full with that. But, again, once we, you know, as long as we stay in our gaps and, you know, we wrap up gang tackle, you know, uh, we definitely uh, make them one-dimensional, make them pass the ball.
1: Explain, explain to the audience and the people listening, what's the advantage and the difference on playing at home opposed to playing on the road with crowd noise and things of that sort and how that could have helped you yesterday as well.
3: Uh, just the energy that, you know, uh, the fans, you know, give us. You know, we feed off them just like they feed off us. So, you know, on you know, third downs, you know, we're getting, you know, getting the crowd going, and you know, everybody's cheering and yelling. You know, uh, getting the offense, you know, uh, you know, messed up or miss. You know, have, they're having miscommunications over there, and uh, that helps us
2: out, getting off, you know, getting off uh, off the ball. Um, the difference in the Miami game compared to Oakland and Buffalo, you guys winning the early games, is it staggering to you when you look at the numbers? They only tried to rush the ball 16 or 17 times. We were looking at the final stats. Ajayi, 11 carries, 16 yards. Cutler put it up 44 times. So does, what does that tell you? Uh, just tell us, you know, the uh, front seven.
3: We're doing our job. You know, as uh, long as we stop in a run, you know, we stop the run. We make, like I said, we make the team one-dimensional. We make them throw the ball, you know, and uh, that's what some Cutler, you know, he tried to do, but he wasn't really that successful.
2: What about Coney Ely's addition? Up front to that defensive line, how much have you enjoyed
3: working with him? Uh, it's great having him in a room. You know, uh, you know a guy who's been uh, playing a lot of ball since he's been in the league, uh, you know, played in the Super Bowl, played at, the, you know, at elite level, at a high level. And, um, you know, he's only going to get it better, you know, each and every week. You know, he's coming off the edge. You know, he's doing so many things for us, setting the edge, you know, in a run game. So, you know, he's only going to get better, like I said, each and every week.
1: How has he made your job easier with his ability to – you know, finally have a, a pure pass rusher. You know, we had Calvin Pace here for a while. We had the, you know, manufacture pressure. But he's a guy that can win one-on-one, that can make those quarterbacks have to step up. How has his ability to, 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 to win one-on-one helped you out in your pass rush game? And how are you guys competing when you go one-on-one in practice, you know, trying to show each other up?
3: uh it helps uh myself and leo out you know uh me and leo you know as long as we pushing in the middle you know that's like you said him coming on off the edge you know it makes the quarterback step up and uh right into our lap so it, it definitely makes you know the interior guys job easier
2: what when you uh came to the locker room after the ball game yesterday Uh, Can you describe that moment and and what it was like to get that first one tucked away in 2017? It felt
3: good. It felt good. And, you know, uh, everybody, you know, preached about how, you know, it felt good. And we want to make sure we get this, you know, stay with this feeling. So we got to do everything we did, you know, that week of preparing for Miami. We got to do it again this week. Have, Have you guys
2: insulated yourself from the outside noise this year? And how have you been able to do that? With that be, with all that being said, I'm throwing three questions at you. What do you remind the younger players? I write, write him down. <laughs> what, what do you remind uh, the younger players because they're hearing all this that the Jets aren't going to do anything this year?
3: Um, I mean, that was Coach Bowes. Honestly, he was told us, you know, from the start of training camp. You know, we knew it, you know, that uh, people would, you know, doubt us and say we would go 0-16. But at the end of the day, they're not the one put on the pads and they're not the one on one just drive. You know, preparing each and every day for opponents. So we could care less about you know the outside to say. No, you're from here, Edison, right? No, Linden. L- yeah. Linden. Okay, Linden. Okay, i New Jersey native.
1: Now, how how gratifying has it been for you to one achieve your dream of playing in the NFL, but two being able to play in front of your 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 your
3: community, your neighborhood, and put on the Jets uniform? Uh, it's great. You know, uh, you know, it's a, it's a childhood dream. You know, I always tell you know people this. Um, I remember um, my sophomore year in college. You know, Coach Golden told everybody to write down their goals. And my first goal, I said I wanted to be a first and second round draft pick. You know, and I wound up being a first round draft pick. So, uh, just to go, be able to go back to Linden and you know talk to the high school kids, which I always do. You know, speak to the uh, football team as well as the basketball team about just achieving their goals and you know striving for greatness. You know, don't let nobody doubt you. So, um, and then you know, like you said, having my family at all the home games. My mom comes to. You know, closer away, away games if you can. Um, I ain't got to play in a while, too, by the way, on the side. <laughs> tell moms I ain't got to play in a minute. <laughs> you know, having my children at the games, you know. So it's a great feeling, you know. you know, uh, I'm definitely proud, you know, to be in the situation I am. You guys are two
2: great examples who've used your platforms through your playing career, and now you've done it now in your seventh NFL season to help people out in various communities. There's a lot of things going on in this country right now. On Saturday night, you guys had a team meeting like you always do, but it was different than normal. Can you explain what took place there and how you all came to a decision to lock arms on Sunday afternoon during the national anthem? Um, Coach
3: Bowe's message was just, um, you know, everybody knows, you know, uh, what's going on now in our in our country. You know, nobody's blinded to it, and uh, we're pretty much, you know. He just said that, you know, instead of, you know, trying to, you know, be the problem or, you know, add to the problem, you know, we need to figure out a solution. You know, uh, that's what it's all about. You know, for all these problems we got going on, we need solutions. And um, with that being said, you know, DeMario finished off the meeting by, you know, just saying that we should lock arms, you know, and, and basically stands for unity. You know, we're, we're united, you know, and, uh, you know, that's what, that's what we did, you know, and it was a, also a good thing to have, you know, Chris Johnson, Christopher Johnson, also lock arms with us, you know, that. That was definitely a big thing for us. How he came in the locker room and spoke to every individual, you know, and uh, asked, you know, if he can, you know, partake in that, you know. So that was a great thing, you know. Um, at the end of the day, it was a, a great day for the Jets Nation yesterday.
2: That's well said. And um, with that, Muhammad, thank you so much for joining us here tonight on Inside the Jets. We're gonna come right you gonna back. You play for Mama. Man. We're gonna come right back and talk to Ring Honor inductee Kevin Mawae. All right, Bart. It will be a whiteout Sunday at MetLife Stadium as the Jets will be in all white—white
1: yeah, that, that's great. White jerseys,
2: white pants—and fans will be able to pick up a Kevin Muy, Bank of United rally tile. So, white tiles at the whiteout. Yeah, Kevin Muy, and at halftime, everybody stay in your seats because uh, one of the best centers in the history of the National Football League will officially enter the ring of honor and that's kevin why who i believe is gonna join us momentarily momentarily yes hey kevin well don't worry about it. if he's not there you're five minutes late man that's a fine (laughs) the mad backer says he's gonna come after you kevin (laughs) no i'm scared of him man he hurt me too many times kevin have you thought about sunday yet uh you got me at the Jets' kickoff luncheon when the Jets surprised you with your induction. And uh, you had a really heartfelt speech. And I just rewatched it today, and I had to dry a couple tears out of my eyes. So what's it going to be like for you on Sunday?
0: I don't even know. I just think it's going to be exciting to be back, see some old teammates, and uh, just be around you know, the Jets organization Friday and Saturday. I'm looking forward to it. And I know, you know, during the induction ceremony, it's more about appreciation for the fans and having played in front of the, the, you know, the green and white or you know, the gang green for that many years. And uh, I'm just excited about it. I was excited about being there when Wayne went in, kind of got to see it from a different perspective, and and now it's my turn. So hopefully, I just I do it justice,
2: you know. How did it all start? 1998. Bill Parcells brought you here, but I want you to retell the story that we've talked about oftentimes because for folks listening on ESPN radio or watching the Jets Facebook page right now, uh, you know, I really think that w- it was something else and the words that he told you and also your thoughts of Bill Parcells before you actually joined the Green and White.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, I was a free agent, 98, and you know, I, I've been to a couple of teams already. I visited the New Orleans, the... Uh, of the Eagles, and then uh, I came to New York, met Bill and the staff and everybody there and then I finished up my weekend uh, that weekend at uh, in San Diego and you know, the thing about Bill that really struck me is I'd never met him before I didn't meet him through the draft process <laughs> and the only thing I knew about him is what I saw on TV when he was with the Patriots and it was always him cussing out a guy or yelling at his team and, and I had years of that in college that I just I'm not the player that gets coached that way and uh, so when they brought me to New York you know I sat down with my wife and I sat across from Bill in his office and he just kind
2: of laid out his plan for us
0: and I told him at the time I said, Bill you know I said I never I always said I would never play in New York and I would never want to play for you and he's like and he asked me why and I gave him those reasons and he said, "Don't believe everything you read in the media or you see on TV is not always true. If you're the kind of player that I think you are, you'll never have to worry about me yelling at you." And then he proceeded to reach behind his desk, pull out a, a you know one of those three-ring binders, those six-inch binders, which was his game plan for building his team and the program. And he pulled a piece of paper out, which was on top. He said, "Every year I go through the process of evaluating my team, but what my priority needs are." to make our team successful, and this is this year's list. And the number one position on the list was to find a center and then to find a quarterback. And um, and so that that impressed me, and that, that was kind of what turned the tide for me and, and understanding that I knew who ran that program was Bill all the way. And, um, and so when I went to my last Greatest visit. I knew that that was the team that I needed to be with, and, the, and he was the coach I needed to play for. And um, I looked back on it, and it was the greatest decision of my career, and uh, the greatest some of the greatest eight years of my of my life. And uh, really enjoyed my time playing for Bill for those two years, and then of course I finished up with with Herm but her uh, very very memorable eight years of my life.
1: Now, now Kevin, yo. First of all, it's an honor to talk to you. You're a tremendous player. I enjoy playing against you, the battles that we had. Um, sometimes, you know.
0: You're so nice
2: about it now.
1: <laughs> well, I, a, lot, oh. a, lot of, a lot of therapy, a lot of therapy. I'm <laughs> calm now. woo, woo, <laughs> woo, woo, woo if, if only I could have heard you guys <laughs> talk
2: back and forth, that would have meant something.
1: <laughs> but, but you know what? You know, sometimes often, you know, when we're playing, we're so busy grinding that we don't have a time to uh, opportunity to stop and reflect and look back. You know, it's only times when we're getting honored or, you know, people bring up our past that we have an opportunity to reflect. Um, now you, you're going to have an opportunity to reflect. What are some of your finest fondest memories about being a, a New York Jet? And also, what's some of your finest memories about being a professional athlete? And what do you miss the most?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, some of the finest memories I have about being a Jet is the day that I found out that we agreed to terms with the Jets. My agent, I called him and. My agent's office, and they, you know, and one of the secretaries said, "Congratulations!" I was like, "I don't know what you're talking about," because I, I was calling. I felt, I, was, I felt in my stomach that the deal had fallen through, and um, so my agent, Mark Bardelstein at Priority Sports, he gets on the phone and he says, "Kevin, congratulations! You're now the highest pick center in the history of the league." And my jaw hit the ground. I didn't know what I started crying. It, you know, my wife was in the room on the other phone. Uh, we are in a hotel room. And, Your wallet hit the and, ground, uh, too. <laughs> yeah. Well, my, my back pocket got a little bit heavier that day. And uh, so that was a moment that just, like, was wow. You know, everything I did the last four years, it, it was a very mediocre team. Where I felt I was a, a very good player. was told that they didn't believe I was the player I thought I was. Um... To have it validated by one of the best coaches to ever coached the game it really meant a lot to me, and it really just opened my eyes to, to to the type of coach that Parcells was and the faith that he had in me. So I, you know, it was my my job from that point forward to make good on what he did for me in that contract, and I did. And then you know we go into the '98 season, we go 12 and four, and there's a couple games that stick out. I had the opportunity to reflect on it. You know, the Jets every time they win. They break it down in the locker room, and they, the cheers, hey, in the home of the Jets. Right. And that happened in 98 for the very first time. We beat Kansas City Chiefs at Arrowhead Stadium in the last second field goal by John Hall. And we started that cheer that day after that game. And we went on that year to go to the AFC Championship game. We had to you know, beat the Atlanta Falcons early in the regular season. If we win the AFC Championship game, we're going to play them again in the Super Bowl. And um, we're leading the AFC championship game by 10 points in uh, 10 minutes to go in the game, and we lost to John Elway. And so that was a memorable season for a bunch of different reasons, playing with Curtis and Brian Cox and Ernest Byers. And, I mean, not Ernest Byers, but uh, Keith Byers, and just a slew of other guys, Vinny Testaverdi and uh, Mo Lewis, all those guys. And to go 12-4, and 4, the best career record that I've ever had up until my last, the next last season and um, made some memorable moments then and then the Monday Night Miracle game against Miami Dolphins we're down by 30 points, nobody gave us a shot to win the game and literally, you know, what, you know Vinny's in the huddle drawing up plays on his chest and in the dirt and <laughs> you know, we come back and win that game in overtime and, and you know, Jumbo Elliott gets the, the six receptions on one pass play uh, to get, take us into overtime and and then you know, we win by the field goal at the end of the game. You know, you remember the losses as well. You know, we go in the second round of playoffs. We, we lose the Pittsburgh Steelers by, with, by a field goal and win into overtime. And, uh, you know, so games like that just kind of really stick out. I remember Herm Edwards' first year at the 9-11 season. Um, you know, lots going on that year and how our team stood up for not just the players in New York and the people in New York, but for the league. Um, we voted not to play that game that weekend, and, and subsequently the season got backed up to another week. Um, you know, uh, Herman was just first year that we went to the playoffs. We beat the Colts 41-0, first game of the playoffs. So just a number of games like that, and then of course, what goes along with that, all the players that you did it with, your teammates, the offensive mates, your quarterbacks, your running back, Curtis Martin, uh, and the memories that you make along the way. And you always appreciate the opponents as well. Played against some great players, especially in our division. Um, you know, Zach Thomas, Jason Taylor, you know, Teddy Bruschi. And, you know, guys like that that you had to bring your A-game every week in order to, to even give you a chance to be to, to be successful. Six,
2: 16 on-off all seasons for Kevin Watt. He started all 118 regular season games he appeared in with the green and white. And on Sunday at halftime, you will enter the Ring of Honor. Just a couple of weeks ago, we took a tour of One Jets Drive and we looked around the complex. And now, what does it mean to you that you are going to be remembered forever? You will be one of the Jets immortals. And after that, we got to get you the Hall of Fame. Wow. <laughs> That second part will take care
0: of itself. There's nothing I can do about it. It's, you know, what you do, you know, I think the only two things that matter in life is is who you are as a man and the legacy you leave behind. And, and that goes in your personal life and your professional life. And for me, you know, I left everything on the field when I played. And you know, I think my opponents would say that. My opponents would say I played to the whistle every play. Some would yes, yes you did. Yes, running. you did.
2: You both played through the whistle. <laughs> Sometimes you didn't hear it. I did the
0: echo, did the echo of the whistle. And, um, but I think, you know, what they hated about you when you played, they respected you because you played that way all the time. It was a consistency there that they knew that when they faced me, it was going to be, a, going to be an all-day affair. And, and so, you know, what I did as a player on the field for the Jets is, is how I, you know, expressed my love for the game. I think you give everything 100%. If I had an ounce of energy left after the game, I I, I didn't give my everything. And, and so going into the ring of honor is a testament to what I was as a player, but it leaves a legacy behind for guys that come after me to see that this is what you want to strive to be. It, it's not just okay to be a good football player. You should always strive to want to be the best. And and everybody's level of best is different. I understand I want kids that come into the stadium 10 years from now I'll see my name on that stadium be like somebody tell me about that dude tell me how good he was or or somebody say i remember watching him play and these are the things i saw him do that i've never seen anybody else do and, and that's what leaving a legacy is as a player you know, to be an example of of what the best means and, and then for your teammates to talk about you about well this is what made him the best how he worked in the off season how he worked in the weight room in the film room and and then the other part of it, too, is how he treated his teammates and the people and the fans, and, and um, hopefully I was positive in every aspect. I know, you know you're never going to please everybody all the time. There's some people out there that don't like me and, and fans that think I did them wrong or whatever, but at the end of the day, I lead. I left the game knowing that uh, I gave everything on the field, that I, that I treated my teammates the way you should be treated, and my opponents the way you should be, and I treated them with respect, and I did the fans as well, and yeah, lastly, what do I miss from the game? It, you know, I miss the camaraderie in the locker room and the excitement. I miss the mental chat, the mental challenge, the chess match that you have against the defensive coordinator making the calls and whatnot. But I do not miss the banging and the physical aspect of it. Uh, those, that's something of the game I don't miss. Well, you
2: can take that bow this weekend because you are going into the Jets Ring of Honor. It's going to be a fabulous weekend. 75 alums will be in attendance. There's going to be a great dinner for you Saturday night. We're looking forward to it. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we're all excited about this weekend. Uh, I'm looking forward to it.
0: Thank you. And Bart, I want to tell you, it was always a pleasure playing against you. You played hard. You played the game the way it was supposed to be. And uh, I'm just glad you finally made your career in the right color. Iron sharpens
2: Iron sharpens iron. Get in the queue right now. And call us up, 800-919-3776. We still have another segment to go here on Inside the Jets. All right, we're back for our final segment here on Inside the Jets and the Jets face- Facebook page. Take some page. calls. We are going to take some calls, but we got to go inside the matchup. Jets, Jaguars, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Sunday afternoon at MetLife Stadium, a whiteout. Uh, you think for the Jets to be successful, obviously they got to contain – Fournette and former jet Chris Ivory because the Jags like to run the football. But you think you gotta take care of Mercedes Lewis and how are the Jets gonna go about that?
1: I definitely think that you know Mercedes Lewis is gonna be the key. He's also the temple setter for their run game as well. You talk about a guy that's six 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 seven. You know, he's athletic, big enough. He has a huge catch radius. And it's going to be interesting to see how the Jets decide to match up with him. If you put a safety on him, you know, he's so much bigger than the safety that he can maybe overpower them. You know, he, you know they had C.J. Mosley on him in Baltimore, and he just mossed him because he was just so big. You know, so it's going to be key because also he's the edge setter on the run game. You know, you know that they want to establish a run uh, for net. Chris Ivory, everybody knows how hard he runs. That sets up the play action. So it's going to be important to make sure that the Jets really make them one-dimensional, put the game in Blake Bortles' hands. He had a good game last week, but he hasn't been consistent over his career. So if you want to make somebody beat you, you want to let it be Blake Bortles. Yeah,
2: and the Jets have to do the same thing they did against the Dolphins, which is make this team one-dimensional, put the ball in Blake Bortles' hands, Conversely, on the other side of the ball, I know a guy you have a ton of respect for is Calais Campbell, and he's been getting after the quarterback early in 2017. Well, you know
1: what? You know, this Jags team, they, they were starting to call them Sacksville instead of Jacksville Jaguars. Um, you talk about having 12 sacks the first game. You know, they had some, you know great success last week as well. Calais Campbell had four sacks in one game. You know, you talk about the combination between Calais Campbell and Malik Jackson, and then they have you Don't know Dante Fowler as well. Miles Jack is playing Miles good Jack. at the linebacker position. You talk about last year. This, uh, you know, last year I believe this defense ranked seventh in pass coverage. You know, so they're playing well. They're confident. It's going to be important to make sure that you know during the whiteout, the Jet fans come out of port. Make sure that it's tougher for Blake Bortles to make any adjustments so that we can get that lead and use our home field advantage to our advantage. Just think, they're coming from London. Yeah. You know, I, I can't recall a team ever coming from and then playing the next day, usually, the next week. Usually, usually you have
2: that bye afterwards. Usually right? it's a bye
1: week, so it's going to be a while for them to have to acclimate you know, to, to the new time, but also the travel, that's a lot of traveling for them, so they're going to have to hydrate. We're going to have to use all the travel and the miles on their
2: bodies against them and really set the tempo and come out fast. All right, let's, uh, speaking of fast, let's get to some calls fast. Ira's been on hold for a while. Ira, how are you, buddy? Hey, what
0: a pleasure to play you. You guys after win yesterday,
2: and then two things I agree with you both. Uh, basically, the game plan for the Jaguars, same blueprint, just kind of mixed up a little different. And, and the coaching staff and ball did a great job mixing Daryl Roberts, getting backs involved, mm-hmm. uh, you know, playing a lot of nickel and, and blitzing. So it was really good. And you know what? It, it, it's amazing. We talk about
0: Kevin white One of my fondest memories about him. We went down to play the Dolphins, and oh, I believe it was on four. And he had broken his hand and he was playing with a club.
2: And it was his it was his right hand, I believe, with which he used to snap the ball. And he didn't shut out the game. And he played that game, snapping the ball with his up with his hand. And we ended up winning that game on a Donnie Abraham interception. And it was big, and, and for a big, big time game. still why well deserved and I, I, I'm really looking forward to watching him get in touch with of this Sunday. Thanks for the call. Very well said, Ira. Let's move on and go to Brooklyn and talk to Artie. Artie is always on the line when you're here, Bart. Artie always on the phone, man. He got, got that good phone. Artie, Artie, what's
1: up, man? Artie was jacked up. He hollered at me on Sunday, too. <laughs> yeah. If, if I'm going to call inside balls and companies, and I'm going to call and give them their props because that was a great day, a great game. They dominated,
0: and I'm going to bring up a couple of things, okay? The first thing is that to bounce back, to the, when you have
1: a, a 60-something yard of power, and they got called back, and to bounce back with a pass right down the sideline to Anderson. That's number one. Number two,
2: the third and one. And I'm saying, okay, oh, And then I look back, and it's 97. And I go, 97. Not going to be
1: a tight end. I'm to third and one. And the guy, like running down for
2: first down. And I'm saying,
0: Now nah, this is what I call
2: football, baby. And I'm telling you, the people that will going for only 16, they don't know the feeling coming out of that stadium with
1: a big win. And now I look forward to coming next week and going 2-2 two two against the All
2: right, Artie, thanks Thanks for the call, brother. Listen, uh, Lawrence Thomas, yeah. who he's speaking of, who played fullback, Against Miami, blocked for Le'Veon Bell at Michigan State University. Great job by John Morton and the Jets' offensive coaching staff getting him ready. The only thing that was tough is he didn't get into the end zone, but maybe next time he gets baby the opportunity. Steps, baby steps. Jimmy, you're on the line. Good evening, guys. Great show. How's everything? Uh, great, great Thank Jimmy. You. Thanks for calling
1: kept met Kevin many, many times downstairs after Jet games in the late 90s. Great, great guy. Super nice person. The one thing I don't really bring up, when he played with that broken hand against Miami, he kept clubbing Zach Thomas with it, and then the ref's like, okay, that's it. I had enough of this. So you got to stop that. Mark,
2: can I ask you a question? Sure. What player talked the most trash talk that you ever played against? Can you say it? No, of course he can say. Of course, I
1: don't care. You know, they, what are they gonna do? Fight me? They can't do nothing to me. Thanks for the call, Jimmy. Um, I tell you what, me and Chad Johnson used to have a little thing. We had this little heated thing through uh, through the media one time. Where we were bouncing insults off of each other. You know, he he talked, but you know he was you know he couldn't do anything. He couldn't hurt you on the field. Uh, but you know he talked a lot of trash. That's that's pretty much who. You know, me and Heinz War, we had that that whole thing uh, that we went through, too, where it got real personal. Um, but, I, I, you know, it just part of the game. I think, you know, for me, that that made me play harder. Because if you're going to talk trash, then now you put a bullseye, you know you're going to get that person who you're talking trash to best.
2: All right, I got the bullseye on oh, because out. we're out of time here at Inside the Jets. Thank you so much for everybody who Kevin came out to the thirty five minutes tonight. We'll see you all later.